All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And I will just say that uh, we did a video about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. And uh, it was after all the images of uh, the Ukraine, well, according to Annalena Baerbach, they're Ukrainian tanks, the, the German leopards, <laughs> the German leopards and the Bradleys that were all uh, destroyed and bunched up together and, and burning up. And we said, watch, uh, Zelensky's going to run around asking for more tanks and more weapons. And sure enough, that is exactly what is happening. Uh, tanks from Switzerland to Germany to Ukraine, tanks from Israel. Uh, he's trying to get more and more weapons. Uh, a, NATO, a NATO commander meeting in Germany where they say this is a, a marathon now. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Podoliak is saying that this is all part of... A, of uh, a probing activity. Uh, Lenski gave an interview to NBC. He said everything is good. It's all going to plan. But the information that we're getting is painting a much different story. Absolutely. What is going on? Well, it's a standstill. I mean, they're, they're launching more and more attacks um, along these lines, and they're getting pushed back in every, on every occasion. I mean, it isn't just in the South, by the way. They're attacking in many different places trying to find weaknesses but they aren't finding any weaknesses and in the meantime they're burning up more tanks and more infantry fighting vehicles and more equipment and more of their men are being uh, uh, killed and wounded in all of this fighting so go back to those articles and discussions that took place you know weeks before the offensive started people were saying at that time in the west ukraine needed to break through fast it needed to be done basically in the first 24 hours uh, um, that uh, the that was the only way to achieve some kind of victory we've had leaks of what looked like plans to break through in three days well none of that has happened they haven't actually even reached yet the defense lines so the, the, the big Russian defense lines. I mean, you were saying that we did this program a week ago, and a week late, a week from that program, Ukraine is fighting in exactly the same places that they were fighting a week ago. So, I mean, they've made no progress at all, but they've lost a lot of men, a lot of equipment, by some guesstimates, roughly 10 to 15% of their total force in, in two weeks of fighting. Uh, what do you make of Mark Milley's, Mark Milley's statement that uh, they have trained 60,000 um, Ukrainian soldiers for this counteroffensive and the Russian Ministry of Defense, they claim that within the first 10 days, uh, Ukraine has suffered 7,500 uh, losses. That's, that's much more than 10% of uh, the forces that have been... Um, lost to the Ukraine military. How is that sustainable? It's, it's, it's not. They haven't even reached the first defensive line, losing 10%. It's not. And I think, just, just on a side note, just, just, I think that also coincides with equipment loss. I think it's like 10 to 15% across the board that has, been, that has been lost in this first wave. It's not sustainable. It's absolutely not sustainable. And incidentally, Millie's number, 60,000, is double the figure that we've been given before. So, you know, I, I, I think he's I think he's putting 
he's putting the existing number of trained uh, of troops trained by the West with more troops that are in the process of being trained up to the end of this year. If you do that, then you do get to 60,000. But if you're talking about the number of troops in theatre who have been trained by the West, then 7,500 is a much bigger chunk of that. Say it is. Yeah. Say it is 60. Give him, yeah. just go with his it's still, assessment. Still more, it's still more, than 10, still. still more than 10%. And um, if we're looking about the Leopard 2 tank fleet, it's been heavily depleted now. I mean, uh, somebody did a study. This is based on photographs, and that maybe is not completely reliable. But they reckon that something like uh, uh, 40% of the Leopard 2s that were supplied to Ukraine have been lost. Yeah. Um, the Russian economy is set to grow to, to, to 2% maybe 2% on the high end, 0.5% on the low end. You did a video on this. What does that tell you about the, the state of the conflict? To me, it tells me that, um, that Russia's got this thing. Yes. When I look at the Russian economy, when I look at the, uh, let's say, the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum that not many channels are talking about, but I think it's significant. 16,000 delegates, 130 countries, you know, I, I understand that wars are fought on the, on the battlefield. We all understand that, and we, we all pay a lot of uh, attention to the details of what's happening on the ground. But um, big picture, you need to look at the economies of the countries that are fighting. And I see that, that Russia is in an upward trajectory, and I'm not even going to say Ukraine. The collective West is on a downward Trajectory. Is that a correct assessment to make? Absolutely. And can I just say this, of course, goes straight to the point about whether we're in a marathon or a sprint. The whole idea about winning this, winning this fast was precisely because you didn't want to be caught up in a marathon. Uh, again, there were all those articles at the start of the year when this offensive was first being discussed, saying that the uh, U.S. was telling Ukraine to avoid getting drawn into a war of attrition, avoid uh, 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 fighting the war the way the Russians wanted to be fought, uh, avoid overuse of ammunition, use these mechanised units, this, this armour, in a more flexible way. And now they're accepting that it is, in fact, going to be, continue to be, a war of attrition. And it's a war of attrition which Russia is winning because the ultimate way you win a war of attrition is if your base is strong and the Russian base is very strong. Now, the central bank said that they had a range, uh, that when they did their forecast, they had a range of possible outcomes for, for the Russian economy. At the start of the year, they were predicting a contraction this year. They thought that the economy would actually contract. That's, they, they were less optimistic about the Russian economy at that time than the IMF was. So then they revised it and they said that they expect that the growth would be in a range from 0.5% of GDP all the way up to 2% of GDP. Now, Nabulina, who is the chair of the central bank, says that it is now looking like it will be at the very top end of that range. In other words, 2% of GDP. German Greff, who is the CEO of Sparebank, by far Russia's biggest bank, 
and the one, therefore, that deals with the most economic transactions. He says, definitely, the trajectory looks at 2% of GDP, growth of 2% of GDP. Inflation is continuing to fall, uh, astonishingly, and living standards are rising. And output across the economy is also rising. And the military industries, Putin did a, uh, a meeting with war correspondents. He said that military production has trebled. And he said that in some important categories of weapons, it's risen tenfold. So who is going to win the marathon? The Russians or the West? The West, recessions looming across Europe, Britain very soon, inflation stubbornly high, living standards falling. We are not in a position to win a marathon, this marathon race at the moment. I mean, it, it, unless something fundamentally changes, this isn't something we can do. And that was why at the start of the year, we were saying we wouldn't do it. We wanted to get a quick outcome on the battlefields, not a long one. And you haven't even mentioned the, the economy of Ukraine. No, I haven't even talked about that. Another. Yes. Hold on. I mean, you're, you're talking the West. You're talking UK, Absolutely. US, uh, European Union, Germany, which is, which is bankrolling yes. Ukraine, which is funding Ukraine yes. to fight this, this yes. conflict. Uh, if, if they're going under, how much longer can they, can they keep Ukraine afloat? Well, that's exactly the point. And uh, Putin, again, in that very same meeting with the war correspondents, made exactly that point. I mean, Ukraine, to all intents and purposes, no longer has a self-sufficient function, a self-standing functioning economy. It exists as a country purely through the financial support uh, of, the, of the West. If that stops, Ukraine crashes just as South Vietnam, Afghanistan, all of these other places. And the bills are huge. They're getting bigger all the time. And there's already murmurings that people, electorates in the West, are becoming increasingly unhappy, and people are becoming increasingly unhappy about the numbers of Ukrainian refugees. And one gets the sense that the mood is souring. Yeah, but the uh, it seems like the, the the collective West is going to continue to, to escalate. That's that's the impression that I'm getting. I mean, there is a struggle, and I, I think that struggle is now more in the open between yes. a group of, of people. We've talked about it in many yes. videos. A group of people yes. that want to see this thing wind down and move on to to say China. Yes, and the group of of neocons, most likely in the State Department, that want to continue escalating. It does seem like the neocons continue to to have the ear of uh, of Joe Biden, if you assume that Joe Biden is the, the person making decisions or the avatar that makes decisions. Either way, that's, that's the trajectory of the United States and of the European Union is in continued escalation. Even Germany, they put out a military... Uh, national strategic military doctrine the other day, and they said that Russia is the number one yes. uh, threat yes. to Germany. Yes. I mean, what, what is happening is that the, the present political leaders in Germany, in the United States even more, having invested their political credibility in this, in this affair, can't really back off from it. Now, in Germany, 
we might actually see a change. The German government is looking very fragile. It's losing support. We just we did a program about this. The IFD, by the way, has now overtaken the SPD in the latest uh, opinion poll survey. It's now polling twenty percent, which is a you know a, an important threshold for it to cross. It's now the number two party ahead of the SPD. So it's possible that in Germany things could start to break down. But Germany is not the place where the decisions are made. The place where the decisions are made is the United States. Realistically, Biden is not going to leave office before uh, 2024, the election in 2024, at the latest. And, um, and it, in the meantime, and this is what's becoming very, very dangerous. It seems that he, or to be perhaps more precise, the people who are clustered around him, have apparently come to the view that his political future now depends on the outcome of the war in Ukraine. Now, with Ukraine visibly losing, that puts the pressure on them to escalate. And in fact, you talked about the State Department, this being a big perch, of people in the State Department. There's talk that Victoria Nuland is going to receive a big promotion. There's been a purge of some of the civilian officials in the Pentagon who were um, sceptical, including some of the officials who argued against supplying the F-16. Uh, the F-16s. And I, I, it looks to me as if the realists are being thrown out of the institutions like the State Department and the DOD, the, De the Defence Department, that more hardline figures are being brought in in order to make more escalation possible. And this now is getting ever more dangerous all the time because when they talk about escalation, apparently Biden is now floating the idea of Attackham's missiles, which he'd previously ruled out, um, and of course, attackers' missiles aren't going to make a difference. F-16s, when they arrive, aren't going to make a difference. And already you see these terrifying articles that are appearing by people like Michael Rubin, give tactical nuclear weapons to Ukraine. And we talked about, in other programmes, the, th the ideas of getting Poland and the East European states to send their troops into Ukraine as well. By the way, on that last issue, that last topic, I get the sense that that's now some of the enthusiasm for that idea, of getting the East Europeans to move into Ukraine, that that's waned because the East Europeans themselves are not keen to do it. And of course, they're looking at the situation in Ukraine and they're saying to themselves, well, if the Ukrainians can't cope, what chances do we have? We've actually, got, we've actually got a smaller army than Ukraine had uh, at the start of this war. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. The only, the only uh, thing that I will say is that, you know, maybe there are some decision makers in uh, Europe that are actually buying into the narrative of Russia's running out of weapons. So they might have the, the belief that, you know, the, let, let the Ukraine army grind down the Russians and the Russian weapon stocks. And even if we have a smaller military than uh, 
then Ukraine, it won't matter because Russia's forces will have been severely diminished. Oh, yes. So we can just stroll right in there and, and take what we want. That's what worries me is that they're buying. There are some, I'm not saying all the people, there are some people in Europe that do buy into the Russia's um, running out of weapons propaganda. Real quick, I'm, reaching, uh, I'm reading a lot of uh, independent media in Greece, in the Greek language uh, outlets, and they are saying that many of the small to medium EU states are uh, not up for escalation with Russia. They want out. But it's the big countries, with the exception of France, all the big countries, they want to escalate, led by Germany. Absolutely. Germany is all in on escalation with Russia. France is the only big state outlier that is trying to... To maneuver. Well, I wouldn't even say they want out. They're trying to maneuver this. Well, you can see that because, again, in Germany now, I mean, uh, Olaf Scholz's entire future as chancellor and perhaps the future of the SPD, which is the dominant party now in the coalition, and, of course, the future of the Greens, is linked to what is happening in Ukraine. If it ends in a defeat with the IFD rising, they're going to be in huge trouble. So um, it's not surprising that they want an escalation. It's not surprising that Maloney in Italy would want an escalation. Sanchez in Spain, well, he might be out of power before very long. But in the meantime, he's angling to become NATO Secretary General, or so it seems. So it is entirely unsurprising that they are pushing hard for escalation. But... Are they prepared to send their own people to Ukraine? No, they're not. They want these smaller countries to do it. And if the smaller countries won't do it, it becomes more difficult. And that's, I think, the stumbling block. But, you know, you can escalate many ways. You can escalate by sending troops in. And you can escalate by sending more weapons in. And you can escalate by trying to tighten the sanctions. And you can escalate by giving the green light to the Ukrainians to do, to do even more extreme things. And you can escalate by doing the kind of crazy things Michael Rubin talked about, which is giving tactical nuclear weapons to Ukraine. And you can escalate by giving Ukraine all kinds of guarantees and hope that the Russians won't see those as the bluff they are. But the one thing you don't want to do at the moment, or so it seems, is talk peace. I was uh, watching the the press conference between uh, by Millie and uh, Austin in Germany after the, the NATO uh, commanders and the defense ministers met. And listening to Austin and Millie, my impression was that they're BSing us. Yes. They know what's going Absolutely. on. They know Ukraine is losing badly. Yes. They know that it's impossible for them to win except for some some crazy event happening. It's They're not going to win. They know it. Uh, and 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 they're and they're BSing everybody when they talk about how you know Ukraine morale is high and we have a plan. It's not a sprint; it's a marathon, and all of these things. Fighter jets will make the difference. Attackums will make the difference. Whatever, uh, which leads me to believe that the two opinions right now in in DC in the past. And we've done many videos on this. In the past, the competing policies, the competing opinions and thoughts as to Ukraine were, as we said earlier in the show, people who want 
out of this and want to focus on China and people that want to escalate, like you said, Newland. Newland getting promoted. It's going to most likely happen. She'll be Deputy Secretary of State, taking over for Wendy Sherman. That's, that's very bad news. Uh, but I think now there are two competing positions. And I think the position, like you said, like you rightly said, the position of we need to get out of this, extract ourselves from Project Ukraine and start thinking about China, I think that position is, is fading. It's being pushed aside. It's being perched, as you said. Yes. And I, now I think the two competing positions, and let me know if, if you agree with this or don't disagree, or don't, don't agree, the two positions are the escalation position, Newland, who's going to be full-on World War III, escalate, Poland go in there, Czech Republic go in there, we're ordering you to fight the Russians, and after you fight the Russians, we want Germany in there, we want France, and then we want the UK. I think that's Newland, full-on escalation. And then you have the other competing uh, position, which is not to... Which, was not, which is not the de-escalate and get out of this, I think it's the Sullivan position, which is, you know what, Austin, Millie, let's just keep this going until after the election. Exactly. Just keep on sending Ukrainians exactly. to fight, send them to exactly. fight, send weapons. Exactly. We got to get over this election hump because Sullivan, as we've also said on many videos, at the end of the day, Sullivan is a campaign guy. Exactly. He's an election campaign manager. That's what he is, exactly. period. He's not a national security guy. He's not a diplomat. He's not a master negotiator. He's none of these things. He's a campaign manager. And so he is saying to himself, you know what? Newland wants to go full World War III. The, the policy, uh, the, the extract yourself from Ukraine project policy guys are gone. That's not going to happen either. So what do I do? Well, I need to get over the November 2024 hump. I think you're... So I've just got to keep this thing going so it doesn't damage Biden. So I, I don't know. I think those are now the two competing forces. I agree. I think, I think I'm afraid you're absolutely right. I mean, the uniformed military, people like... I think Milley, actually, uh, um, the new incoming chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Brown, I think they're very sceptical about this whole operation. They probably were, to be honest... From the outset, they thought something might come of it. They now realise it's a huge mistake. And I agree with you. I think they're bullshitting. I mean, I think they're talking a lot of bull BS. I don't think they believe it anymore. In fact, the lack of conviction was, I, I mean, I, it was obvious. But they're not the ultimate decision makers. The ultimate decision makers are in the White House and, you know, the executive office and all of those. And they are mostly concerned about the election. This is now the overriding issue for them. And with the president and his team apparently now convinced that if Ukraine goes down in flames before the election, the president's whole political position will collapse, they will do everything they possibly can to keep it going as long as they can beyond the election, beyond 2024. All right. Any other uh, thoughts before we wrap up this video? Well, you know, it, it's interesting that we said that because, of course, um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before that, you know, a Russian commander, Apti Alaudinov, said that he thought that the war would end sometime in August or September of next year, 2024, uh, when Ukraine finally ran out of steam and did collapse. That's just a week, 
few weeks before the election. So of course Sullivan has to be very careful because what he might end up doing is that he prolongs the war up to the point when the collapse comes in circumstances which are even more damaging for Biden's re-election prospects than an October surprise type of scenario. Absolutely, yeah. Exactly. That it would be, you know, if he negotiated now. If you remember, well, of course you remember, short time ago, you were saying on various programs that this is the fork in the road. You know, Biden can walk away from it now and find ways out of it, and wash his hands, and he can focus on the election. But he's got a small time window in which to do it. They didn't seize that chance. They went for this offensive instead. It's not playing out. So now it's basically, as you correctly said, um, a fight between the extremists, Vicky Newland and people like that, Victoria Newland, wanting to escalate to the nth level, up to and including nuclear weapons. If you think that Michael Rubin's uh, article has some, you know, force behind it, and <coughs> the Sullivan. <coughs> political group that want to just keep this thing running up to the election, hoping that no one will notice how bad it's getting in Ukraine. Yeah. All right, uh, we will end it there. TheDuran.Locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Rockfin, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.